Hello everyone, my name is Kate and it is my privilege to bring the Bible reading to you today. Um, So I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Do you normally read the NIV? Okay. Do you oh. n- normally read the NIV? Uh, no, actually. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah, bless you, sister. <laughs> she was going for the ESV and then she suddenly realised there was something different in front of her. <laughs> so, that's all cool. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I, I'm excited to be able to bring you God's word. And I, I don't take this lightly. It is... a privilege to stand before people and just proclaim God's word and uh, I I think it's very interesting at this time of year that we get opportunity um, to talk about Jesus and there's an expectation that we will actually talk about Jesus at this time people are so much more receptive and I think that's very clearly indicated by the fact that we had 3,000 people uh, at the carols and uh, something that Scott couldn't tell you but I can two years ago um, I was on the gate as people left and I had so many people complain and so many people say negative negative things and it was just to be quite honest it was miserable by the time 50 or so had done that Um, and then this year I didn't get one complaint how incredible is that not one I was still on the gate don't think I was hiding I was still there and uh, I was like okay what's going to happen this year and it was just such a blessing uh, to interact with those people Um, Pastor Daryl and I too we got to do something very interesting this week you'll be aware of the shooting that occurred just up the road Uh, we had the opportunity to visit some of the businesses there and just let them know that we as a congregation have been praying for them that we're available uh, anytime if they need to speak with us and you would not believe how receptive and appreciative those people were So we went as your representatives and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see a return on that as well. But it was very encouraging just to be able to uh, speak into those businesses and things like that. At this time of year, we talk about Jesus and believe it or not, we have people sitting present with us who don't actually know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We also have people online and welcome. It's great to have you with us this evening. I hope you've enjoyed the service so far. And, And these people don't know about Jesus and we're living very much in a day and a time where people want to push down this whole religious idea and they say that our faith is a crutch. Well, that's true. Uh, I've used my faith as a crutch sometimes. In fact, I've used the whole hospital at times for my faith because I've needed Christ that much. But it's not just a crutch. We have people that say all roads lead to God, surely. And in a way, they're correct because they do. There's going to come that day where every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They are going to end up in his presence, but not the way that they think. And so when we're talking about Jesus, when we're considering Jesus, we have to ask, well, who is Jesus? And there's a growing amount of people who say, well, Jesus never existed. It's just a figment of your imagination. He never was on this earth. And that is simply not true. 
There is no half-decent historian, Christian and non-Christian alike, who do not testify to the fact that Jesus did walk this earth. So the only question we need to ask is, is Jesus who he claimed to be or was he a madman? Because he was either a madman or a liar. And the reality of the situation is, we can't say he's a good teacher. There's many people who say Jesus was a good teacher and he was that, but he was more. So we can't say he was just a good teacher because Jesus doesn't allow us to do that. When we read passages of scripture like John 8, this is Jesus and the Pharisees, the, the leaders of the religion of the day are there with him. And Jesus answers them, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, Jesus' day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, Are you not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we have people who say Jesus never claimed to be God. And we've got this statement right here where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And this is one of those things that's lost in translation. We don't realize what Jesus is actually saying here. But the very next line says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Why did these guys pick up stones to throw at Jesus at this time? It's because what he said was incredibly offensive. It's because what he said, he was claiming to be equal with God. He was claiming to be God. So Jesus doesn't allow us to just say he was a good teacher. So was he a madman? Maybe. But I know... Jesus had 12 disciples with him, his whole ministry. One of them committed suicide because he wasn't a true follower. Out of the 11 that were left, how many died violent deaths for their faith? 10. Have you ever seen these cults that rise up and, you know, their leader passes or gets arrested or something like that? How long does that religion or cult or faith or whatever last? It's very short-lived. These guys were proclaiming the gospel for an extended period of time. Not one of them fell away. Not one of them turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And only one of them died a natural death, and that was John. It's very interesting that Jesus said to one of the disciples about John, if he were to stay until I return, what is that to you? And all ten of them died thinking, John's still alive. Is Jesus going to come back? Jesus didn't actually say he'd be back before John died, but Jesus said, if he were to live until I return, what's that to you? And we just see fulfillment after fulfillment after fulfillment. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. And you need to ask yourself the question, are you going to choose to follow him or are you going to deny him? And are you going to be one of those people who when you come into glory, you will bow your knee, you will confess he is Lord and Saviour, but it will be fleeting because you will be cast into hell. It's as simple as that. There's no other option. Jesus loves humanity, and he's taken every step he possibly can take in order to draw people to himself. But he's a perfect gentleman. He, he leaves the choice up to you.
And there's, there's this incredible illustration or story that's done the ridges. It's, America, it's, it's American based, but it's, it's very, very applicable. It happened around Christmas. And it's this story of this husband and father who didn't have a relationship with Jesus. His wife and his kids did, but he didn't. And it was Christmas Eve and the family was heading off to church as you guys are going to come to church Christmas Eve. Hey, bless you. That's awesome. So everyone went to church except the father. The father stayed at home. Everyone invited him and encouraged him to come along. And he thought the whole thing was rather silly. And his statement was very simple. Look, the whole concept of God becoming man, that is just one I cannot possibly understand. It doesn't make any sense. And so the family went off to church and he stayed at home. It was a very difficult night. There was lots of snow. There was wind howling outside and it was bitterly cold. Big snowflakes started to fall. And partway through the evening, he started hearing this thumping. He's trying to watch TV. And he couldn't work out what this thumping was. And he finally realised that there was all these birds against the window, thumping against the window with their beaks trying to get in because the storm had just you know, caused them to come out of where they were and they saw the light and they were trying to get into the place where they could perhaps shelter. And this man was concerned for these birds outside. It was obvious that they're not going to survive if they stay there at the window because the temperature kept dropping. And so he decided that he would put them in the barn out the back of the house. And so he went and he opened the barn doors and he was trying to encourage the birds to go into the barn. But there's nothing he could do to actually do that. He shooed them away from the window, but they just flapped away and came back. He even turned the lights on the barn and it didn't make any difference. He threw bread on the ground to try and draw them to the barn, but the snow covered it. And it didn't matter what he tried. He couldn't get those birds away from the window and into the barn. And he was so frustrated. He yelled, he whistled, nothing made a difference. And in the midst of his frustration, he said, how can I help these birds? If only I could become a bird, then if I could do that momentarily, I could lead them to the barn and save their lives. The penny dropped. He realized if he could be a bird, the birds wouldn't be afraid of him. They'd follow him to the barn, they'd be saved. And as this thought came to him, the church bells rang. He understood. God became man and dwelt amongst us. So that we wouldn't be frightened of him. So we wouldn't be scared. And he lived as we lived. Died in my place. Died in your place. So that he could do what we couldn't do for ourselves. The man got in his car and went to church. Worshipped God for the first time. An incredible story. We come around Christmas time and I've got to tell you, I, I get incredibly frustrated at this time of year. And I know that's a terrible thing, but it's honest. I see the Christmas decorations and that's great. I see all the food items. I see the present suggestions and everything like that appearing in shops and supermarkets. It seems to be earlier and earlier every year. And as I was researching this, I looked online and there was a comment from this person who said that they saw Christmas things beginning to appear in Carindale Shopping Centre this year in August. August? Really? 
Added to that are the carols and the songs, and I know I should love carols, but they're played in the shops, they're played in numerous locations uh, across the city, and again, they seem to be non-stop for 11 months of the year, and of course, that's a gross exaggeration, but it just seems that way. And I just have to ask, surely someone else can release a Christmas album so we don't have to listen to Mariah Carey anymore? Please, anyone. I mean, I heard her twice this week. And on top of this, we've got those wonderful Christmas lights displays, which are fantastic, but they seem to burn the retinas out of your eyes, some of them. They're just so bright and in your face. And none of this is bad stuff. And for the most part, I enjoy the times that I get to interact with it. I love going and seeing all the hard work that people put in their Christmas lights. I loved the carols last week. It was brilliant. But my issue is, where's the focus? In these last few weeks, from November to Christmas, Australians are going to spend $50 billion on Christmas. $50 billion. I find that staggering. And as I grow older, I, I just long for the simpler things in life. Uh, all this stuff seems to matter less and less. And maybe it's because I'm getting to that stage where I'm going to see Jesus face to face a lot sooner than you guys, but I want to dwell on him. I, I don't want to have a lot to do with this other rubbish. I want to focus on all Jesus has done for me and all of humanity at this time of year. We invest so much in all the retail stuff and none of it's going to last. A lot of it doesn't even last Christmas Day. I'm sure there's many parents here who can testify to that. And we invest so much stuff in this, so much in this stuff. And so little time on what we confess Christmas is really all about. We hear the songs and the carols over and over, but do we dwell on the words? Do we think about this being our Lord and Saviour? Do we think about that babe that came in that manger? Our old Christmas mantra is, Jesus is the reason for the season. Who said that? Yeah. Do we believe it? We've been through a series which is focused on how we should be living differently before our friends, workmates, colleagues, neighbours and relatives. If they were to examine your Christmas, if they were to watch how you participated and interacted with everything to do with this Christmas, would they see something fundamentally different when they went, what's going on here? Why are they like this? Or are we just like everyone else around us? Are we doing the same things? I hope our lives are such that people will be moved by our obvious commitment to Jesus. He is the reason for the season. And whether he was truly born at Christmas time, I really don't care. This is when we choose to celebrate that. And we should celebrate it boldly. And so tonight I hope to spur you on to begin to take some steps to do exactly that. And uh, to be honest, I've got no idea what we're supposed to be calling this series. Um, I, Pastor Darrell and I have been like ships in the night. Please be praying for him. He's got um, termites in his house, so he's doing all sorts of things at home at the moment, trying to get rid of those. So I, I've decided to call the series in the evening, The Christ of Christmas.
and uh, that's where we're going tonight so let's pause and pray father god i want to thank you again for your goodness to us i want to thank you that you move in our lives lord i want to thank you that the gift of jesus christ means that i can stand redeemed in your presence jesus places his righteousness upon me there's nothing good in me except jesus and I thank you, Lord, that Mel's come to that realisation and so many people in our congregation and online as well, Lord. Father, tonight, I just pray for the truth of your word to come through to us. I pray we will hear your voice and I ask that we'll interact with that. I ask that we'll draw closer to you and that we will leave this place tonight celebrating that we've encountered you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When we think about our faith, I wonder if we think about the fact that our faith, the Christian faith, is the only faith that worships a God who came to us. It was God who reached out to us. All other faiths are reaching out to their God. They see that they have to do something in order to attain a spirituality or a faith, whereas we do nothing. Jesus reached into our world. He interacted with us. All, our, all the other faiths are works-based. But our faith declares our Lord is Emmanuel, God with us. And we've all heard that carol and sung that. And it's at this time of year, this season, where we celebrate this. God lets us know about the incredible gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to reveal that to us, his wonderful son. And it proves that he is not against us. He is actually for us and he is with us. God reaches out in his love through the Lord Jesus Christ and lets us know he's willing to do all that needs to be done in order for us to know him, to be loved by him, to love him in return and to have a relationship with him. And we get to spend eternity with him when we make that choice, when we call him our Lord and Saviour, Emmanuel. God with us. The reality of God revealed in Jesus. He came and because he came, we celebrate that fact. And I hope tonight you capture some of the awe and wonder contained in the Christmas account and that you hear again the call of Jesus on your life. So we had that passage read to us so well this evening. Paul is calling the Philippians to develop a spiritual uh, sorry, a servant mentality. In verses 1 to 4, just prior to this, he lays out how they should be living by putting the interests of others before themselves and for all believers to be like-minded in this. Then in verse 5, there's this bit of a shift and Paul points to Jesus as the perfect example of how this is done. And he says, you ought to have this mind among you. He's calling for each and every believer to have the mind of Christ. And in context, he's calling for us to have the same approach to life as Jesus did, to have his same love for the lost and the hurting as Jesus had, the same forgiveness for all people as Jesus had. He is saying, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then act like it. Act like Jesus. Be like him. And then he goes on to say, Although Jesus had the very form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. And this is another very powerful verse about who Jesus really is. And this is a statement that Jesus is fully God. And the NIV here will say that Jesus was in very nature God. And, and both the NIV and the ESV are a little bit lacking in the translation because there's no English equivalent words to what is really actually being saying, said here from, from the original Greek. And this has led some cults to deny the deity of Christ. They say he was in the form of God, but he was not God. He was only a reflection of God. 
And you'll have people knock on your door that tell you exactly that. But that's not what the original Greek says in this context, in this place. There's two Greek words that can be translated form. Morphe and schema. They are both translated form as it is the only English word, really, English word which even comes close to the original meaning. Morphe is the essential form which never alters or changes. So if we were to use that word in relation to us, that is our humanity. Our humanity never changes. We can be a baby, we can be a child, we can be a toddler, we can be uh, a youth, we can be a young adult, we can be a middle-aged person, we can be elderly. We are still human. That remains the same. So when we talk about our humanity, that's what that word means. Schema is that form which always changes. And again, in reference to humanity, we see those changes as we go through those phases, don't we? They, they change. Our humanity stays the same, but physically we see those differences as we grow, and that is constantly changing. So the morphe never changes, but the schema does. And when Paul talks about Jesus here, he's talking about morphe. And it isn't a mistake. He is saying that Jesus is fully God. He is unchanging. And this is emphasized throughout Scripture. And I think the most powerful one for me is John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, if you go to the beginning of your NIVs, you will see that they say that the wasn't actually there. So the term that is used is in beginning. It's an eternal term. It means Jesus always was. When this speaks about the word, it is speaking about Jesus. So Jesus always was. And we know God was, is, and is to come. Jesus was, is, and is to come. He remains constant and true. He is never changing. So when he came to this earth, that part of him did not change. He remained constant and true. He was with God. Jesus was God. And then when there was God... There was also Jesus. And so he was and is and is to come. Jesus is God. And we know that from this passage. We also know it because on the road to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he had a number of various answers come back from the disciples. Then he turns to his disciples and he said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And we know that Peter says in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, back in John, we also have the account where Jesus said in 858, um, before Abraham was, I am. That was the one I read out before. At a face value, that doesn't seem to say so much. But when Jesus said this, they gathered and stones, and they wanted to stone him and kill him because they saw it as blasphemy that he was claiming to be God. And that was exactly correct. They actually got something right. And he ticked the Jews off again in John 10.30 where he says, I and the Father are one. And again, in that context, they picked the stones up and they wanted to kill him again because he was claiming to be equal with God. And we have the accounts of him forgiving sins. And possibly the most powerful of these is when Jesus is nailed to the cross himself with a thief on either side and he turned to one and he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He was claiming to be God. We're told Jesus never claimed that, but he did many, many times. He did things, said things that only God could say. 
He made promises and fulfilled scripture, which only God could do. But he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Have you guys heard all those stories about Jesus when he was a baby and he didn't cry and, you know, he didn't, was never a bad boy or anything like that? We all heard that, Jenny Jesus, meek and mild. It's not true. He cried. Should have. How else would have he got fed? But this is a great mystery. It's true nonetheless. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And the NLT translates this verse as this. Please listen. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. Jesus had every right to the honour and privileges that were his when he was enthroned in glory before he came to this earth. He is God. Think, think of that place he had in glory. The host of heaven obeyed his word. Everything he said, they did. All of creation was brought into being because he spoke a word and, and the host saw Jesus' power, they saw his majesty, they saw his glory. And so these angels bowed constantly to him, worshipping him. He was seated in splendor, in unapproachable light. He was worshipped perfectly. And yet he emptied himself of all of that and chose to restrict himself to the limits of humanity. And when he came, he didn't come to the king's house. He didn't come to some influential people. He came to a couple of teenagers, poor teenagers. And I don't, know, I don't know what the host of heaven did when they looked upon that. They must have thought something had broken or gone mad. And they just looked on in wonder at God's plan and what God had done. Jesus gave up his heavenly glory. He gave up his independent authority, his right to act the way he wanted to. And he submitted himself to the will of his Father. He gave up his divine attributes or the use of them. He gave up all his heavenly wealth and riches. And most incredibly, he gave up his personal relationship with God. Don't mishear me here, please. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says... God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And when Jesus took your and my sin upon himself, God turned away. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the most incredible thing that Jesus did for us. And that's why he was born. He was born to take our sins upon himself. He humbled himself in human form, become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in this day and age, we can't fathom just how crazy that is Death on a cross wasn't just 
a simple thing we know about the torture and everything like that. I have stood where Jesus was flogged. There's channels carved in the rock so their blood flows away. It's a horrendous place. It's a terrible place. And Jesus was beat to within an inch of his life. But being hung on a tree, everyone knew if you were crucified, you were cursed. Can you see the problem there for the religious leaders of the day? How could Jesus be the Messiah if he was cursed? That's how far Jesus took things. He was willing to do that for you and I. He came with a mission to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And it doesn't matter how much I try, I, I, I can't live without sin. I can't live perfectly. And there was no known way to man that we could be saved. We couldn't do it ourselves. We had no way to pay the incredible cost of what my sin had done to myself and to my relationship with God. And I was constantly severed by, from him. But Jesus took my sin upon himself and gave me his righteousness. And I don't even understand why he would do that. He's just got this love for all of humanity, which goes way beyond reason. And he was fully human, and yet he was without sin. He always was, always will be. And this incredible, loving, eternal God stepped into our time and space to take my place and face God's wrath for me and you, and all of humanity, once and for all. He took my sin and gave me his righteousness. You heard Mel say that she's still a sinner. So am I. Jesus was the perfect son of God. His death was enough to pay for all the sins of all of humanity. And the way is now open for everyone who chooses to believe. And because of Jesus' humility and obedience resulting in his finished work on the cross... God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all names. God exalts him highly. He gives him the name which is above all names. All authority on heaven and earth is his. Everything will be placed in subjection under his feet. And all of these things are biblical truths. And when we look at passages like um, Ephesians um, chapter 1. Um, let me just get to that, sorry. Ephesians chapter 1 um, verses... Um, 15 to 23. Let's just listen to what is said here. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness who fills all in all. Everything that I've said is emphasized in that passage of Scripture in Ephesians. It's such a powerful verse. And I think we should be reading things like that. I think we should be get excited about that because this is the God we worship. 
He is above all rule and authority. His name is above all other names. Everything is placed under his feet, not for a period of time, but for all time. He is sovereign over all. He is God. He was, he is, and he is to come. And Paul wants us to know there will come a time when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I think I've shared with you before, when I was about these young people's age, I thought that there'd be this archangel as you walked into heaven and he'd have a baseball bat and he'd just club you behind your knees and you'd have to bow. That's not the way this is going to work. When we come into the presence of a glorified God, whether we know him as Lord and Saviour or not, we are going to fall to our knees. Think of John on the Isle of Patmos. When he sees Jesus, this is Jesus, his mate. Jesus, the one he loved. And he sees Christ glorified. And what's his reaction? He falls down as if dead. Because Christ is glorified before him. There is no other response that we can have. And whether you know him or not, you're going to come into his presence and you are going to fall on your knees. And you are going to confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. There'll be many, hopefully all of you guys, who will bow willingly to the Lord at that time. But there'll be many who bow reluctantly, possibly none more so than Satan himself and his hordes, and they'll all bow. No one will be left standing, and everyone will declare with their own mouths, their own tongues, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That day is coming. Whether you believe in God or not, can you just think about for a moment what it would be like to fall into the hands of a God you do not know? I would be terrified. I don't do it. That day is coming. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. No one will be excluded. There'll be those of us who proclaim that with great joy and we'll proclaim it over and over. There'll be awe and wonder and thankfulness and worship. But be those who say it in fear, in sorrow, in regret. Which one will you be? It's just a choice. It's just a decision. There are some who believe they just need to say the right words, live a good life, do the right thing. But Jesus' standard is different to that. If we want to be in heaven in glory, we need to read this and understand what he says to us. It isn't just about knowing him. All the demons know him. They're not going to heaven. They're not going to be saved on that day. What's going to matter is if Jesus acknowledges us, if our name is written in the book of life. And I want to encourage you to think about a couple of things. None of us can number our days. This may be the last opportunity I get to preach. I could be gone later tonight. I could be gone tomorrow. None of us know. But scripture assures us that there will be a day when we stand in his presence and we will kneel and we will declare him Lord. Will that be because we know and love him? Have you come to that point where you realise there's nothing that you can do to save yourself and you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Where you acknowledge that you have ignored him, gone your own way, done your own thing, been your own Lord, and you need to come to him and ask for his forgiveness? 
Do you believe what Scripture says, that there's only one way to heaven, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the finished work on the cross? When we come to this time of year, is Christmas a time for you to remember? Remember as a Christian all that God has done for you. And this babe that is in a manger, he was born in the shadow of the cross. He was destined to die. That's why he was here. And do you acknowledge that? He came for you. He came for me. Are you daily building your relationship with him, getting to know him more? Are you willing to sacrifice for him, to serve him, whatever the cost? Because he means everything to you. Because you've come to understand that. I want you to think about how tonight we've been called to have this mind amongst us, the mind of Christ. Jesus was other-centered in all he did. He thought of others before himself. Do you do anything out of selfish ambition, out of pride? I, I met someone this week. I was told their name. I said hi and I used that name and they corrected me and put a title in front of it. Why? I receive emails from people who have this string of qualifications underneath their name. It's just a personal email. Why? Ha have you ever used that wonderful phrase, I would never do that? That's a judgment call. That's not the mind of Christ. Change that to, there go I, but by the grace of God. Even this horrendous incident up the road, we know nothing about that man. We know nothing about how he suffered. And seriously, there go I, but by the grace of God. So many are suffering from depression. So many are suffering from mental illness. We don't know what they've gone through. Think about the messages you send. Are they encouraging? Do they build people up? Do they draw people to our wonderful Lord and Saviour? Jesus' ministry and focus was to the poor and the needy. Do we do that? We will in the future. I've got some big plans for next year. But we need to be doing those types of things. That's what we're called to. Use Christmas as a time to remember, a time to reflect on all Christ has done for you and what he calls us to as a people of God. And let's just bless people as much as we can. Let's be making a difference here in SDBC and wherever you guys normally worship, that would be awesome. But let's be making a difference with our friends as well. I'm going to pray the team will come back up and uh, we'll close the service. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace again, Lord. I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the challenge that this word has had for me, Lord. And I just pray that I've spoken clearly enough that some of those hearing get it, Lord. I pray that you've ministered to them through Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that there's things that they want to change in order to draw closer to you. And more than anything, I pray, Lord, if there's people who want someone to pray with, that they'll come forward at the end of the service and we can do that. Father, may your name be honoured and glorified in this season, in each of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.